0: Praise God. You know, we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at, at, the, at the passage in Matthew 6, and it was just it's just so rich in, in, uh, in material that we, we need to look at and, and delve into and allow God to speak to us. And, and so um, it's been a real privilege to, to go through that. I've been really encouraged. Um, But before we go any further, I'd like to say a very special welcome to our visitors. Welcome. Uh, I really pray that you'd feel relaxed and uh, at home. We don't stand on ceremony. We just love Jesus. How many love Jesus? Amen. 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 It's it's just a wonderful um, time where we can gather together. So uh, we're going to carry on with our study this morning in Matthew chapter 6. But I I came across uh, this poem by C.T. Studd. Um, He was a missionary way back uh, and I, I was a contemporary who worked with, with uh, Hudson Taylor in the Inland Mission in China. And uh, I've kind of heard this, the, the one phrase you know, only one life uh, will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And I've heard that just about my whole Christian life, never realized that there was so much more to the saying. So, uh, how many know that this is a whole poem? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> Not many. Okay. So, uh, we've been looking at motives. In, in Matthew chapter 6. And so I'd just like to read this to you. Um, and despite my name, I'm not very good at poetry, so you'll have to excuse me. Um, but uh, it's uh, called, Only One Life, It Will Soon Be passed, And it's by C.T. Studd. It says, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Mm-hmm. Only one life, yes only one, soon with its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God, holy will to cleave. Only one life, will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, Only one life, will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only let my love and fervour burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say 'twas worth it all. Only one life 'twas soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for Thee. Praise God. Where did you get that poem from, Pastor? Um, it's a it's a poem by C.T. Stud. Uh, it's it's on the, it's on the internet if you want to get a copy of it. But you know, I think what a beautiful picture of living your life for Christ, you know, and it really reminds us to to uh, lay up treasure in heaven, because it's only what we do for Jesus that it has any eternal value. When it's all said and done, it's really appropriate for what we're studying, you know. And so um, we we're going to go through and, and look at the rest of this, and, and hopefully God will speak to you. I, I hope that little poem will ring in your spirit. Uh, you know, it's only one life. Will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's hope, hope God really bears that upon our spirit and that we don't um, forget. I want to give you an outline this morning as, as we look at what we're going to cover, hopefully, uh, and uh, it, it's summed up in a few little words. It's a choice between two treasures, a choice between two visions, and a choice between two masters. That's what's really outlined in this portion of Matthew uh, chapter 6. And if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at a few verses, starting at verse 19. We're going to go through to 21. And it says this, Matthew 6:19 through 21. And I'm reading it from the King James. Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think that that last verse in that, uh, in that trilogy of verses is the most powerful and the most important. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So we need to be careful on what we're setting our hearts on. Because ultimately that's where we're going to end up. And I want to suggest to you right from the outset... ...that the treasure that we need to be setting our hearts on... ...is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's where we set our heart. Because if we set our heart on the Lord... ...then we can be assured that when, when the day comes... ...when Christ returns for the church... ...which I believe is so very, very soon... ...I believe we, we are living uh, in, in the days of the Lord's return. And so uh, if, we, if we're living for Christ and we're living... ...and He's our treasure then we will go to be with the Lord and uh, it will be a glorious celebration at the Married Supper of the Lamb. Looking forward to that one. How are you? Amen. So we need to make sure that we're laying up treasure uh, in heaven. You know, so much of, of our life is is lived trying to gather up earthly treasures. You know, we, we want a we want a car, we want to we want a house, we want we want nice clothes, we want to go out to dinner. And when it's all said and done, these things just perish. It's you know, it's very. Um, very frivolous when, when we live life that way, you know, earthly glories fade away, don't they, you know they're subject to the laws of decay, uh, everything gets old and it perishes, no matter how well you look after it, uh, things begin to rot and decay and, and deteriorate, you know if you do have something nice, how many of you notice that somebody uh, has, has licked something nice that you've had you know, one day you go to look for it and think, oh, it's gone, you know or, or the other thing happens. People get jealous over what you have. And then they can't say anything nice about your treasure. Have you noticed? Oh, I, I see that there's a little spot there. And they point out all the imperfections and stuff. What are they doing? They're living for earthly treasures. These are not the things that we should be setting our heart on. Amen? Amen? We need to be setting our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true treasure. He's the one that we need to be living and loving for. See, it's a song. It goes, Life's... Life's little Amen. treasure ebbs out. And you know, it says, Abide with me. Life's little treasure ebbs away, like there's nothing more here. Yeah. If I look at me in the mirror, life's little treasure <laughs> ebbs away. <laughs> <laughs> if I look at my china, I cloth and everything else. <laughs> Amen. you are a treasure, though. That's a temple. Amen. You know, it's, it's an incredible thing. Uh, when I was living in Africa, I, I learned the lesson of not setting our heart on treasures. In one calendar year, he and I were burgled 22 times. <laughs> 22 <laughs> times from November to November. And, you know, I... I We had nothing of value by the end. I'm thinking, why are you still breaking in? There's nothing but the bed I'm sleeping in, you know, the blankets around. They've taken everything. But you know, you you suddenly realise that, you know, things are they come and they go. And the only thing that's really worth anything in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we set our heart on him, if we learn to love him and honor him in all our ways, if we if we do that which pleases him, then, then life is really rich and is worth Uh, Living The trinkets and baubles of this world, they perish, they rust, they break or they're stolen. The things of this world are temporal for sure. You know, it's an amazing thing. If you set your heart on treasure, speaking from personal experience, I know you guys wouldn't know anything about this, but when you set your heart on treasure, isn't it a funny thing that you just never seem to have enough? You know, uh, you 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 want as soon as you've got treasure, then you want the next thing. You want the the next version, the newer one, the better one, the bigger one. You know, your heart's never satisfied because you're setting it on the wrong thing. You're never fulfilled with setting your heart on treasure. You know, and uh, because that's because that's really coming from a heart of selfishness and from greed, and uh, these things will not satisfy a heart. You know, John D. Rockefeller, he was the, the world's uh, first billionaire, he had a thousand million dollars. That's quite a lot of money, and uh, this was way back when, when a million dollars was still a, a lot of money. You know? And uh, he was <laughs> he was interviewed by a reporter one day, and, and, and the reporter said to him, uh, "You know, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough?" And he smiled. And he said, "His his answer was this: just a little more." The richest man on earth wasn't satisfied with what he had. You see, when we set our heart on treasures, whether it be money or whether it be anything else, it does not satisfy the cry of the human heart. Only Jesus can fill the void that's in our heart. Only Jesus can make us content and satisfied with life. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Who is happier? The man with $11 million... Or, the man with 11 kids? And the answer is the man with 11 kids, because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> See, Rockefeller this oh. man didn't have enough, you know? So the truth is, the Bible says that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so, if you are happy, if you are satisfied with God's blessing upon your life, if you content with those things, you are richer than Rockefeller. Think about that. Because Rockefeller wasn't happy with his lot. But we can be in God because we've discovered that life is not about trinkets and baubles. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. What we really need is an eternal perspective, don't we? We need to see things from God's viewpoint. And the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Some people have got their priorities back to front. You know, uh, they, they use people and love things. Instead of loving things, of loving people and using things, you know it, it, we really got to get our priorities right in, in this respect. you know some people are givers and others are takers and uh, it 's really important that we we see that we model our life upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God so loved the world that he gave. God was a giver. you think of everything that God has done he 's given to us, and so that that 's the pattern that we um, we should be building our lives I don't know if any of you here have heard of an amazing man of God he's, he's really very well known in America uh, his name is Wayne Myers, anybody heard of Wayne Myers? Um, he was associated with our seminary and uh, he's known uh, most, of, most of the world knows about Wayne Myers um, he, he, he's a missionary and uh, you know he his motto for his life is I live to give and, uh, you know, he, he was an incredible man, absolutely an inspiration. Uh, one of his sayings was, we only own what we give away. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, you think, well, that doesn't even make sense until you realize that God credits your gift to your account. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we think, oh, okay, you know, when we, when we live to give, we please the Lord. And so uh, he, he was a man that was uh, literally a, 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 an ambassador for the life of giving. Wayne Myers was a prosperity preacher that lived for the kingdom of God. And literally millions and millions of dollars passed through his hands. In fact, easily tens of millions, multiple tens of millions of dollars passed through his hands. He built over 4,000 churches in Mexico. He paid and, and financed those churches. Uh, as a missionary, he'd, he'd go and say, I'm going to believe God, we're going to build a church here, and he'd believe God for the finances. He gave away over a hundred motor cars to pastors in third world countries who needed them to go and preach the gospel. He was such a generous person. You know, uh, he raised funds for Bible schools, he personally paid the tuition of many students. Who were going through his, uh, Bible schools? He says, God has just laid you up on my heart, and I want you to know that I'm going to believe God for your tuition for the entire year, and I, I, I don't want you to worry about it. I'm going to trust God. Too. So he paid for the tuition of untold numbers of students, uh, built uh, churches in Africa, in Asia, and, and all around the world. Uh, he was truly an inspirational man. You know. Uh, Everything he had, uh, his wife said, you know, she was just as bad. But this is the little joke that they had between themselves. You know, she, she, as soon as he got something, he'd give it away. You know, it would be in this hand, in that hand, out the next one. He gave everything. He was just a conduit through which the blessings of God flowed. And literally tens of millions of dollars flowed through his hands. And he believed God for these fabulous sums of money. And yet he was a a very ordinary man, you know. Um, he, He... If you looked at his lifestyle, you would never guess that he'd given tens of millions of dollars away. He drove a very simple car, an ordinary car. He lived in an ordinary house in a not very flashy suburb. Um, He dressed like everybody else, nothing exorbitant or extravagant. And yet millions and millions of dollars passed through his hands because he lived to give. And his mission was to teach others to give as well. And that was his lifestyle. And that was his mission. He was truly an inspiration. Remember the one time at the, at the seminary where I attended, uh, they wanted to build a student center. They really needed a student center, place where the, the, the students could uh, relax and, and have some um, facilities other than the study things. So they, they felt that that's what God was calling them to do. And I remember Wayne Meyer stood up and he said, I'm pledging $100,000. Now this is a pastor hey, in, a, in a third world country coming to America and he says, I'm going to pledge $100,000 uh, to the school. And uh, you know, it wasn't long before he paid off uh, the $100,000 pledge along with all the other pledges that he had promised to give. He was, he was just, as soon as you ran, if he saw a need, if he felt it was God's mission in his life to fulfill it. He was just one of those guys. He wanted to give. He was a giver. He was just an amazing guy. And he was so inspirational, so humble. You wouldn't know. you know. Uh, many times he would do things and you would never even know. It, but he would be the, the, the hand that was providing behind what was going on. It was quite incredible. And so uh, he began to inspire people to give. It was his gift. And uh, there was a, a guy by the name of Gil Grant. Or Grant Gill, I beg your pardon, the other way around, Grant Gill, and he actually used to work with with Reinhard Bonnke, and um, he he was in England at this particular time, and Wayne Myers happened to uh, be speaking at the Fire Conference in 1988, and he would after the conference he'd he'd made a number of bookings to speak at different churches in England, and Grant Gill being from England. Uh, was nominated to look after Wayne Miles, to take him out to these various venues so that Wayne could preach. And night after night, uh, Grant Gill is sitting in these meetings and hearing these wonderful stories of a lifetime of missions work and supernatural provision of how God provided and how God blessed him financially and he was able to bless the people all around about him. And uh, it, it, was, it really impacted uh, Grant Gill's life. And, you know, he was truly inspired. And he began to think, well, Lord, you know, I've never sponsored a a minister. I've never given a a car away. I've never built a church. But I think I would like to. So he, after a couple of weeks, he he said, okay, God, I'm going to up my giving. I'm going to give a car away. And so that was his, uh, (coughs) excuse me, that was his commitment and so he began to say, Lord, I'm going to save, and whatever you give me, I'm going to put it towards And next time I go to Africa, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give a car away. So he saved up his money, and it wasn't long before God sent him to Africa again. And he's driving around Africa. Excuse me. a are risky. So he's driving around Africa, and he sees a sign, Cars for Sale. And he thinks, wow, okay, I'm going to go and have a look for, and maybe I can buy a car. So he walks in and he sees the car that he'd been thinking about and th- thinking, this is the very one that uh, you know, I want to get. And he sees it there in the lot. <coughs> there are only 11 cars in the parking lot. And so he goes around and, and, and he, speak, he tries to find the salesman. He said, I oh, know, it's an auction. Uh, and he said, well, what time's the auction? He said, it's all day today. He said, well, what do you do? <coughs> go around to the car that you like. Write out a ticket of you, of your uh, what you what you are bidding, and the, the car's locked, but there's a little slit in the window. Just push your ticket through the window, and at the end of the day, we'll unlock the the car, and we'll see who has the highest bid. So Grant Gill's sitting there thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to start small, but I, I'm going to I'm going to pledge. Um, and so he went to the car that he really liked and and he pledged an amount, put it in the window. And he thought, man, I'm going to miss out on an opportunity. If I don't win this one, um, then I've got nothing to offer. Maybe I should put in a, a bid on a few more cards. Um, and so he said, I'm, you know, I don't want to end up with them all, so I'm going to give them a really low ball bids. Uh, but at least I'll have, I'll have a bid in there. So he put in these ridiculously low bids, and he popped them through all 11 cards. Well, you know what happened, don't you? He was bidding in pounds... And at that time, the, the exchange rate was 25 Rand to one pound. And so his, his incredibly low bids, when you multiply it by 25, were astronomically high. The guys were rubbing their hands together. They couldn't believe that, um, oh. that somebody was willing to buy all these motor cars. So that at the end of the day, they phoned him up and they said, Mr. Gill, we just want to tell you that you've won all 11 cars. Oh <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the, the guy was absolutely... You know, he was in panic mode. He said, God, what have I done? I've only got money for one. <laughs> I, and he was panicking and, and, you know, he didn't know what to do. He said, Lord, I, I just don't know how to get. This is a mess, Lord. You know, uh, help me. I don't know what to do. So um, he, go, he goes to the guy and he says, the only thing I can do is, uh, you know, I need to get away somewhere and pray. When you're in trouble, it's good to pray, amen? He at least understood that much. So he said to the guy, "Uh, if I leave my car keys, can I take this nice car that I've just won and uh, go for a bit of a drive? So he's driving, he's saying, Lord, this is a mess. How do I get out of this? Lord, what am I going to do? I I could get into really big trouble here. As he's driving around, he sees a sign, and it's the Ford Motor Company. We buy and sell used cars. And he just, he just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to drive in there. <coughs> so he drives in and he tries to find the salesman. He said, "What will you give me for this motor car? So the, the salesman sort of goes, you know, has, has look, goes through his books and has, has to look at the car. And he said, look, uh, I'll give you an offer. And, and, and really, it, 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 paid for, it paid for the car. And so now he only had to find out what he was going to do with the, with the other 10. You know? But the, the offer that the salesman made uh, was actually so good that it paid... For all the other 10 motor cars. And so he's starting slowly. Lord, I want to give one car. Turned out that, that very trip he actually had to give 11 motor cars away because God had blessed him. Man, you see, supernaturally provided. He started saving, but God started doing the work. Mm, excuse me. You know, Wayne Hines used to say, I'm a living. Uh, I, I'm a giving while I'm a living, so that I'm a knowing where it's a going. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that, that that's a, a very wise motto. You know, I think uh, when you when you die and you leave it to the world, you're not always sure exactly what's going to happen to the money afterwards. Uh, he, he lived to give, but there was a, an occasion that arose very soon after this particular um, occasion uh, where uh, Wayne Myers was desperately ill. He needed a, uh, a heart operation. I, I forget that the. the um, the ins and outs of it, um, but he went to Dallas, and uh, the operation was going to be costing sixty thousand American dollars. Well, money was money was passed through Wayne's hands, you know. And as soon as it was in his hand and it was given away to someone, he didn't have a penny to put towards this operation, and it was a very serious operation. They said you're going to die if you don't have the operation. But Lord, word got out that Wayne Myers was in trouble, and the the the, the, the Mexicans. Um, the 4,000 churches that he planted got together, they collected the money and drove across the border and went to the hospital and said, there's the, the $60,000 they paid cash for that offering, God took care of his servant it was an amazing thing, what were these people doing? they were laying up treasure in heaven, you can't mm-hmm. take it with you, amen mm-hmm.
1: some of us have tried, but you, know, you can't take
0: it with you excuse me but if we lay up treasure in heaven, uh, we we have a choice. We either live for ourselves, or we live for the trinkets, for the treasures of this world, or we can lay up our treasure in Christ. When we when we start to love Christ and do what live the life of Christ, we are laying up treasure in heaven. We're sending it on ahead. You know, uh, I, I was just thinking of these people that, uh, like Grant Gill, who was. The, oh, by the way, you know, he's now given over 30 cars away. You know, he, once he realized that God could provide supernaturally, he started, he's started. he been uh, embarking on a mission, he's given 30 cars away so far. Anyway, that's by the by. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what treasure are we really pursuing? What are we really living for? Are we living for ourselves? Or are we truly living for the kingdom of God? Are we, are we honoring the Lord? Are we seeking God? Is God our treasure? You know, it's important that we we understand that, because everything we have belongs to the Lord. And we are just here as stewards to give. So, those are the two treasures. We've got to decide whether we're living for ourselves, or whether we're going to lay up treasure in heaven. Secondly, is the two visions. And that's found in in Matthew 6, um, and verses 22 and 23. Let me tell you, that, that these two verses that follow are oddball verses. And I'll show you why in a second. Let's read them. And they seem to be quite strange um, when we read them. The light of the body is in the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. You look at that, and it's like, huh? If you look at the verses before uh, that, it's talking about money, it's talking about the two treasures that you have, and if you look at the verses afterwards, it's talking about those, you can't serve God and mammon, so that's talking about money, and and, and Jesus puts these verses for a snap in the middle, and, and, and he's talking about light and darkness in your eyes, and you know, I think... What on earth is going on? You know, it doesn't seem to. It seems very strange uh, because they start off talking about money, then he talks about eyes, then he talks about money again. And in fact, if you leave out those two verses, um, then uh, it becomes very interesting and very clear what the, what the thought is. It's a, it would go something like this: treasure God in heaven, and not money on earth. Because you can't serve two masters. Yeah. So if you simply left those verses out, it would make a lot of sense. So why does Jesus link these two sayings about money? Um, We're talking about the good eye and the bad eye. It seems rather strange, somehow disconnected, random, out of order. You know, it doesn't seem to fit the, the natural flow. And so, how are we? To, to understand these two verses. So I go to the commentaries, and I go and look at the commentaries. Because when you're stuck, you go to the commentaries, right? Man, you look at the commentaries, and guess what they do? They leave it out. <laughs> oh, that's not very helpful, you know? Yeah, I think, every time I have a problem, and want to look at a specific thing, that's the thing that, that they've left out, because they had a problem with it also. And they don't it. So I'm thinking, Lord, how do we understand... Uh, these particular verses in the context. And I remember at seminary that, that you know, they, they did this, they covered this, and I, I, I used to know the answer. But that was 40 years ago. And I was scrunching around my notes and trying to look, and I just couldn't find the blessed answer. Does that happen to anybody else? You're looking for things, you just cannot find them. And I'm looking and I think, God, I, I, how do I explain this? I know that there's an answer somewhere. And anyway, I go I, I, on the internet and Uh, I'm I'm indebted to John Piper because he managed to solve the conundrum and reminded me what it was Um, and so I'm very appreciative of of that so if you look at Matthew chapter 25 or or 20 verse 15 um, you'll see that Jesus told the parable about the workers in the vineyard do you remember that? they agreed to work from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night and they agreed to work for a denarius. And the the master of the vineyard came along at 9 o'clock and so the saw guys hadn't been hired, so he hired them and they went to go and work in his vineyard. He came at midday, did the same. And at 5 o'clock there were still some people standing around and and the master of the vineyard said, come work in my vineyard. And at the end of the day, um, he calls everybody together and he pays them exactly the same. They paid everyone a denaria. And if you've been working for 12 hours and the guy comes along at 5 o'clock and gets paid the same, you, how many might think, hmm, yes. <laughs> Lord, I don't quite get this, you know? And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting um, because that, that's exactly what happened. What is going on here? The Master is lavishly generous to those who work for one hour. And... Uh, He pays the agreed amount for those who worked all day. So those who worked all day grumble, verse 11 tells us, against the master of the house. They weren't happy with this master because he did that. You know, if we take that and we spiritualize it, um, we, we could look at it this way. If we were in that situation, I think some of us would feel a little bit aggrieved. But I think that's because we often have a wrong perspective. I think we should say, hey, my, the right attitude would be this. Hey, I got to work for the Master for 12 hours that day. That would be a blessing to the Master. You know, when we serve some people are going to get into heaven, and we, we've served Jesus all our life, and they're going to, they're going to be rewarded. And so, how I many know we're going to get a bigger reward than they will? Oh, yes. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but they will be rewarded, even though they got in by the skin of their teeth. And so, You know, having the right attitude was important. So uh, the Master was lavishly generous to those who worked for one hour, and he paid the agreed amount to those who hadn't. If you read this in the NIV, you're going to get a little bit confused, because uh, Matthew 20 and verse 15, which is talking about this particular thing and the verse, it says this. uh, This is what the Master says. Am I not allowed to be to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or does this, uh, do you begrudge my generosity? And if you try and figure that out in terms of, of the parable, you are lost. I want to tell you, because that is uh, that is not a translation. It, it's a paraphrase of, of what's said. so so. Uh, unfortunately the, the, the paraphrase actually makes it far more difficult to understand what, what has been said uh, it says, it's not a translation, the paraphrase says uh, uh, and it's a very loose translation of the Greek, uh, the literal Greek says, or is your I evil because I am good, it says uh, uh, estesu uh, ophthal, uh, ophthalmos uh, and if, if you think of that word ophthalmos Uh, You might hear or think of the word ophthalmology, and um, it's it's where we get our English word ophthalmology from, ophthalmos, and uh, it really is speaking about ophthalmology as the study of the eyes, and so this is speaking about is thy eye evil? Uh, And that's the Greek word porneros, porneros. and so he's saying, Is thy eye evil? Porneros? Is it corrupt? Is it, is it uh, putrid and defiled? Hoti ega ami agathos. That's what the Greek says. And so it's, it's, saying, it's saying this uh, Is thy eye is evil because I am good? That's what he's saying. That's the literal thing. When you put that back into, into the context, it begins to make sense. Because what is it saying about the evil eye in context with the, 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 the workers of the vineyard? Are you with me so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what does the, the literal Greek say? You know, uh, is thine eye evil because I am good? And it's, what, what it's saying is this. The, the evil eye, the bad eye, uh, refers to the eye that cannot see the beauty of grace. They cannot see the grace that God would let, or the the master of the vineyard would lavishly bless somebody else. They cannot see that. It refers to the brightness of generosity. Um, They cannot see the unexpected blessings to others as a precious treasure. All they see is that they've been hard done by. Uh, So it is an eye that is blind to what is beautiful, bright, and precious, and godlike. That's what the evil eye is really about. It's a worldly eye. It sees that money and material rewards are more to be desired than the beautiful display of God's gracious generosity. So, what does the evil eye? Put it into into modern day language. What does the evil eye see? It says, some guys at the end of the day were paid a lot more for work that they didn't do. They were, they were envious about that. They were angry about that. The guys that worked for 12 hours felt cheated, even though they had agreed to work for, uh, uh, for the, the money that was uh, paid them. They, they thought they deserved more money because they had worked in the heat of the day, even though it was what they agreed to work for. And so it was all about money. The bad eye, the evil eye, was all about the way they saw money. They felt cheated. They felt robbed. They felt, this is not fair and so it was all about money when you understand that and now you go back into, into Matthew 6 and you begin to look at it in, the, in the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount you begin to understand what it's talking about the bad eye here parallels the bad eye in the Sermon to the mount, uh, uh, on the Mount where it's talking about money so the good and the bad eyes is really talking about two distinct ways of viewing money in fact Far from being uh, a random and uh, obscure and strange verses, these two verses are actually striking at the very heart of the aspect of money. Okay? Uh, and it's really the, the correct... Uh, verses 23 talk about the two attitudes. The good eye that sees God's grace and His mercy and His love and His goodness, and the bad eye which, which criticizes and judges and says that, that they have been robbed. And it fits perfectly well into the, into the scenario about the two treasures, the two eyes, or the two visions, two attitudes, two visions of money, and the two masters. And so it fits very well into that particular category. You know, isn't it strange that in, in some branches of the church that you can't talk about the prosperity message? You know, if you do, some people get mad. They get angry. They think, well, oh, man, this guy's a heretic. You know, let's burn him at the stake. You know, they, they really get hot under the collar. this is why? because the, they have come across a bad experience mm-hmm. um, they 've had bad experiences and uh, uh, because somebody has abused the prosperity message. The prosperity message uh, if, if that happens. We shouldn't stop teaching it just because uh, it's been abused. We should correct the abuses. We correct the errors with the truth. Can you say amen? amen. Isn't that what we do with <laughs> salvation? Somebody gets saved, and, and, and then they get they get involved in sin. We say, oh, I, I can't preach about salvation anymore because, uh, because no, it, it doesn't work. Look at this at all. No. no. We we bring correction. We tell them that they need to repent. We bring the truth again. we don't back off the truth we bring more truth to to the subject and more light in order to do that so we preach the whole counsel of God we don't disregard it just because some errors have occurred but we actually preach the prosperity message um, if you if you if you throw the, the that message out it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater right and I think well it's not it's not really a valid message the prosperity message is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's God's plan to finance His kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. So uh, we need to uh, correct the abuses for sure and teach the whole council of God. Francis Bacon was an, uh, an English statement and a statesman. and He said it first and he said it best when he said, you know, money is a beautiful servant but a terrible master. Yeah. And it's true, you know, we either control money or money controls us. God wants to bless his people financially. Um, It's how God finances uh, the kingdom of God. He wants to bless us so that we can bless others. It's not that we become a a, a hoarding place, um, that every blessing we get is to be hoarded on self. No, we then give it out to to others. It's important that we need to handle money responsibly. Uh, So don't be selfish, don't be greedy. As we close this morning... Uh, this is God's gift to us. We are blessed to be a blessing. We have money with a mission, prosperity with a purpose. God gives to us so that we can give to others. We are to become conduits like like Wayne Myers. We are, as God blesses us, we bless others. We minister to others uh, as he directs. So I'm bringing this to a close I, with, with these words. President Jimmy Carter actually said this and I think it's very interesting what he said President Jimmy Carter of the United States said when it comes to giving some people will stop at nothing and there's mm-hmm. a double entendre there yeah, yes. <laughs> and I, I think that that would be a good place for me to stop talking about money this morning so, but it's in the oh, text and, <laughs> praise God So um, let's, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer and let's help ask God to help us to have a good eye And help us to be generous and to be kind and to be thoughtful. Help us to to follow Jesus' example. Let Jesus be our treasure. Let Jesus be the love of our life. And, And may this week be a week where we pursue Jesus with a fresh vision. That we pursue the Lord with a new intensity. Could we, this morning, as our hands are bowed in honor of the Lord, as we look at our lives and think, Lord, could I could I step up this morning? Could I pursue you and make you the treasure of my life? Could I pursue you harder this week? Could I love you more? Could I do better? Uh, Lord, am I striving after the greatest treasure? You are the pearl of great price, and Lord, we want to love you, and Lord, uh, Lord, we want to lavish our love upon you. Help us, Lord, to to draw close to you this week. And I just pray for uh, for each and every one. I want to say, I want to raise my hand this morning. I want, I would like you to pray for me that 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 prayer is fulfilled in my life. And I would like to pray for any of those who say, I really want to make this week a, a, a week where I have a new vision of what it means to pursue God, the true treasure of my life. I want to pursue Him through the Word. I want to pursue Him through prayer and worship and witness. I want to pursue the Lord with everything that I have. I want to make this work, this week count, because only what's done for Christ will last. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that that You would speak unto us. And I I wonder, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you would pray for me, but if I could pray for any of those who have a similar desire in their heart that they're going to make this week a week of absolute pressing into God and really laying hold of God's uh, blessings and treasures. And so, is there anybody here this morning that I can pray for? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The hands, are, hands are going up all over the place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that this week will be a week where we draw close to you. You said if we will draw close to you, that you will draw close to us. I pray that this week... Lord, will be unparalleled in the weeks that have gone by. That this week, this year, would stand out as a week where we begin to, to really pursue you. Lord, that we, we continue our fasting as we, as we looked at last week. That we would be reminded that, Lord, we, we're seeking the kingdom of God. That you are the great treasure. I pray that this week, Lord, would be a priority week where we give you first place. Lord, that we would make sure that we're reading the Bible and praying, not because we have to, not from a legalistic standpoint, but because we love your word. Lord, because we want to draw close to you. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that has indicated a a desire to to make this week a special week, a unique week. And I pray, Lord, that uh, along with them, that we would really honor you and love you. Help us, Lord, to to, to give to those that, that are needy, those that, uh, Lord, are less fortunate than ourselves. Help us, Lord, to lay up treasure in heaven. Help us to bless you and to honor you, Lord, through fasting and seeking your face. And, Lord, just that uh, may we love you with a more fervent love. Stir our heart. May we become more passionate, more zealous, more sold out for you than we've ever been before. And so, Father, we declare our love and our devotion to you, and we make our commitments to you this morning in Jesus' name. I just want to give you 30 seconds this morning to, to talk to the Lord about the commitment that you're going to make to the Lord this week. Hallelujah. You just take that time to talk to the Lord. Tell Him what you intend to do. To carry church out of these four doors unto the world in which we live. We're making commitments here this morning to pursue God with all our heart, souls, mind, strength, so that we take church beyond the walls of this building and live it throughout the week. Lord, help us. Remind us of the things that you want to do in our lives. Minister to us. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's gathered here this morning. I pray your blessings. Upon each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Amen. Pastor, can I just um say something because it goes along